Hello, and welcome to The Face of Bible John, a true crime podcast investigating a series of unsolved murders in the city of Glasgow, Scotland, from 1968 to 1969. I'm your host, Louise McGregor. Please note that this podcast will contain descriptions of physical and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. In 1978, West Yorkshire police were in the midst of their biggest ever investigation, the search for a serial killer who had become known as the Yorkshire Ripper. This was one of the largest investigations ever undertaken by a British police force, and in those pre-computer days, information was stored on thousands upon thousands of handwritten index cards. The investigation, which spanned several years, accumulated so much paperwork that the floor of the incident room had to be specially reinforced. Investigators were in danger of being overwhelmed by information when, beginning in March 1978, they received the first of three letters which purported to come directly from the killer. The first letter was addressed to Assistant Chief Constable George Oldfield, the man leading the Ripper investigation. Over the course of the next 12 months, two more letters were received, and in 1979, a cassette tape arrived in the incident room. This contained a message for George Oldfield from the writer of these letters. After analysing the letters and the tape, West Yorkshire police concluded that they were genuine and that the distinctive voice on the tape with a Wearside accent was the voice of the Yorkshire Ripper. On 26th of June 1979, the tape was released to the media. Police spent around £1 million on a campaign to publicise the tape message in the hope that someone would recognise the voice. They set up the so-called Dial-A-Ripper telephone hotline, took out full-page advertisements in newspapers and put posters on billboards. Around 40,000 men were investigated purely because they came from the Wearside area. Most importantly, suspects who did not have a Wearside accent were eliminated from the inquiry. In January 1981, a man named Peter Sutcliffe was arrested for driving a car which was displaying stolen number plates. During subsequent interviews, Sutcliffe confessed to being the Yorkshire Ripper. He didn't have a Wearside accent, and as soon as he was arrested, it was clear that the tape must be a hoax. This had completely derailed the police investigation of these murders for more than two years. Sutcliffe had been interviewed nine times in all during the investigation, but because he didn't have a Wearside accent, he was dismissed as a suspect. Three women were killed by Sutcliffe after the tape was received and before he was caught. The implication is that, if the police had not accepted and publicised the tape as being the voice of the Yorkshire Ripper, Sutcliffe might have been caught sooner and the deaths of some of those women prevented. Assistant Chief Constable George Oldfield who had been one of the main supporters of the tape, was disgraced and took early retirement almost as soon as Sutcliffe was arrested. How is this all relevant to Bible John? Accepting the hoax tape as genuine caused the Yorkshire Ripper investigation to head in the wrong direction, leading to West Yorkshire police investigators ignoring suspects who didn't have the Wearside accent. It seems possible that Joe Beatty's acceptance that the Lennox-Patterson portrait was an accurate image of Bible John may have derailed the investigation of those murders in precisely the same way. Suspects who didn't have red hair or didn't resemble the portrait were essentially disregarded by police looking for Bible John. If the portrait isn't accurate, this may have caused police to ignore the real killer. Joe Beatty was aware that not everyone was happy with his complete acceptance of the evidence of Jeannie Langford, though he remained a vociferous supporter of her testimony. He described her as a wee sharp Glasgow woman and seemed to believe that her description of Bible John was accurate and reliable. He even seemed willing to ignore the fact that Jeannie had a fair amount to drink before going to the barrel and ballroom with Helen that night. The manager told police that she seemed drunk during the altercation over the cigarette machine. Jeannie claimed that she was no more than tipsy by the time that she got into the taxi with Helen and Bible John. 
Jeannie certainly admitted to having more than one whiskey in the trader's tavern before going to the ballroom that night, and we do need to keep this in mind when considering her testimony. The testimony of some of the other witnesses, including the manager and bouncers at the Barrowland Ballroom who spoke with the main suspect, are quite different. They don't mention this person as being tall or having red hair. Some of those witnesses were quite certain that the police photo fit and painting of the suspect did not even resemble the man they had seen. Joe Beattie chose to disregard this conflicting testimony and to focus on Jeannie's recollection. Even Joe Beattie indirectly seemed to suggest that he wasn't quite as sure about her testimony as he sometimes claimed. After his retirement, he mentioned during more than one newspaper interview that he had come to believe that the hunt for Bible John may have been a waste of time because the three murders could have been committed by three different people. However, it was Jeannie Langford's testimony that linked the suspect for the Mima MacDonald murder and the suspect for the murder of Helen Puttock. If Jeannie's testimony is reliable, the same man committed both these murders. If two different men committed these murders, as Joe Beatty seemed to come to believe, Jeannie's testimony can't be reliable. And if Jeannie Langford's testimony isn't reliable, then the Lennox Patterson portrait may not, after all, be the face of Bible John. There is one other point to consider. On the evening of Thursday, October 30th, 1969, the man who would go on to murder Helen Puttock went to spend the evening at the Barrowlands Ballroom. The portrait of the killer, who would come to be called Bible John, had been widely circulated, and it was believed that this man had picked up both his victims at the Barrowlands. Posters showing the portrait were prominently displayed at the ballroom with appeals from the police from anyone who knew the man to come forward. If the man really looked like the portrait, he was taking an enormous risk going to the ballroom that night. Staff were aware of the painting and would surely have noticed if a man who appeared to look just like it had walked in. Members of the public had seen the painting in newspapers, on posters around the city, and on the posters displayed around the ballroom too. Surely they too would have been expected to notice if a man at the ballroom had the face from the poster. Jeannie chatted to the man several times. What risk was he taking that she might also glance at the poster on the notice board and see the face of the man dancing with her sister? If the killer of Helen Puttock really did closely match the painting, then he was acting with utter stupidity or incredible arrogance by going to the barrel and ballroom that night. However, if he didn't resemble the painting, it actually assured his safety. Most people accepted the police assertion that the painting showed the killer. A man who didn't resemble the painting couldn't be the killer. There is no evidence that this murderer was recklessly arrogant or terminally stupid. The only reasonable inference is that he went to the Barrowlands ballroom safe in the knowledge that he looked nothing like the painting. There are good grounds to suspect that within the files of Glasgow City Police, there is a record of an interview with the murderer of Patricia Docker, Mima MacDonald and Helen Puttock. However, this man was probably not taken seriously as a suspect because he didn't resemble the Lennox Patterson portrait. Fifty years on, there is no realistic way to reset this investigation and go back to interview the original suspects. Bible John must now be at least in his mid-70s if he's still alive at all. Most witnesses who are still alive are of similar age and the chances of their recollections still being reliable are essentially zero. Sadly, it seems that a basic mistake in the initial investigation meant that there was no chance of identifying the killer. That initial failure means that we will almost certainly never know for certain who Bible John really was. What we do know about this killer makes it seem almost certain that he was raised in Glasgow and had a Glasgow accent. According to Jeannie Langford, he had crooked front teeth and a missing tooth in his upper right jaw and was articulate and capable of charm when required. Most witnesses agreed that his appearance was very neat. He was of above average height, though this is not certain, and slim and there seems to be a consensus amongst witnesses that he was between 25 and 35 years of age. He appeared to be comfortable with the milieu of the barrel and ballroom, but he seems to have not been a regular attendee there. 
he may have at least some knowledge of police investigative procedure. The anger displayed by this killer may have been at least partly prompted by the fact that each of his victims was menstruating. This is a frighteningly short list of reasonable assertions we can make about Bible John, especially when weighed against the fallacies associated with this killer. For example, the notion that he was obsessed by the Bible and or very religious appears to be based on hyperbolic newspaper reporting rather than hard evidence. The only person who mentioned a possible link with the Bible was Jeannie Langford, and she only mentioned his possibly quoting from the Bible once. Both she and Joe Beatty had concerns about both the newspaper reporting and the name this killer was given because they seemed to imply a much greater interest in the Bible than the suspect actually demonstrated. Perhaps the single greatest fallacy associated with this murderer is the assumption that we know what he looked like. There are grave doubts that Bible John looked like the painting by George Lennox Patterson, and this assumption may have badly hampered the police investigation and most subsequent attempts to identify this killer. For various reasons, none of the potential suspects that have been identified seem to be Bible John. It would be wonderful to end this series by highlighting a particular suspect as being Bible John that would simply risk adding another layer of fallacy to a case that is already marred in misconception and outright falsehood. If there is to be a genuine attempt to identify this killer, then it can only come through starting again and re-examining suspects on the basis of what is actually known about this killer and ignoring those pieces of evidence that are mistaken or doubtful. After the passage of 50 years, that may not even be possible, but simply nominating a suspect on the ground that they look like Bible John is not what we need. The deterioration of DNA evidence taken from Helen Puttock's body means that this type of analysis can't be used to definitively identify or exclude any potential suspect, so finding this killer could only be done by old-fashioned detective work and deductive reasoning. With the passage of more than 50 years, this just may not be possible. George Lennox Patterson was an artist of real talent. His painting of Bible John isn't just a likeness, it's a portrait of a man wearing a cold, supercilious, and rather aloof expression. It is, in fact, just how most of us would imagine a religiously inclined sexual serial killer might look. It's a great painting, but it may have been a major factor in preventing the identification of the murder of Patricia Docker, Mima MacDonald, and Helen Puttock. For the reasons explained previously, the circumstances in which the first version of this painting was produced make it surpassingly unlikely that it's a good likeness of the man who walked to Mima MacDonald home from the Barrowland Ballroom on August 1969. It seems virtually certain that Jeannie Langford was aware of this painting before her sister's murder, and in her memory, this face could have become conflated and confused with the face of the man she met at the Barrowland Ballroom in October 1969. Human memory is a fallible and malleable thing, and in this case, failure as an accurate recall may have allowed this killer to escape justice. This contention is supported by several witnesses who claimed that the portrait bore no resemblance to the man they had seen that evening in the ballroom. Mainly on the instructions of Joe Beatty, it was the recollection of Jeannie Langford that was given precedence over all others. But even the photo fit, which Jeannie Langford worked with police to produce, has one important difference. It clearly shows a man with much darker hair than the Lennox Patterson painting, and that agrees with what some other witnesses reported. Yet there was, at the time, and remains, a common belief that Bible John had red or sandy hair. Just like the Yorkshire Ripper investigation ten years later, the Bible John investigation was hamstrung by emphasis on a piece of evidence which may have been mistaken. In the case of the Yorkshire Ripper investigation, police weren't convinced the tape was a hoax until they caught Peter Sutcliffe, the real killer. Bible John was never caught, but if he had been, there are grounds to believe that, whatever he looked like, it may not have been anything like the painting by Lennox Patterson. There is no doubt that someone brutally murdered three women. 
A review of the evidence suggests that all three murders were committed by the same person. But it is possible that almost every significant aspect of what is commonly thought to be known about Bible John is mistaken. What he looked like may still be a mystery. His supposed interest in the Bible and religion are not at all certain. Take these things away and we're left with a faceless killer about who we really know very little. This man may still be living quietly in Scotland or elsewhere, perhaps smiling wryly if he happens to see a print of that famous painting. You may have met him. You may even know him. You may live next door to him. But you never know, because so much that has been said and written about this case is simply wrong. Bible John became famous at least partly because of the catchy name given to him by newspapers and by George Lennox Patterson's painting. But we believe that these things also serve to obscure his real identity and ensure that the real face of Bible John is as unknown to us now as it was in 1969. Patricia Docker, Mime MacDonald and Helen Puttock deserve justice. That will only happen if we disregard the famous painting and begin the search for the real face of Bible John. You just listened to episode 6 of The Face of Bible John. Hosted, recorded and produced by Louise McGregor. Co-written by Louise McGregor and Steve McGregor. Based on the book, The Face of Bible John, The Search for a Scottish Serial Killer by Steve McGregor. Thank you for listening.